For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton, and in today's episode, we have the interview we've been teasing and talking about for a little while now. Davis Schneider of the Toronto Blue Jays joins the show to share his unbelievable story, and Davis is one of the best dudes in pro ball. And I, at point blank period, if you, if you come away listening to this episode and you are not a Davis Schneider fan, I, I will be utterly shocked. Like This is one of the best conversations I've, I've had with a player uh, because of how open Davis is, because of how chill he is and laid back. And that's something I, I did know going in. Uh, you, you'll hear through the conversation a little bit. I know Davis through our mutual friend Griffin Conine, who you know, they played together in the lower levels of the Blue Jays system before Griff was traded. And I would always just see how hard Griff pulled for Davis. Like, obviously, you have a lot of friends in pro ball, and I see Griff and, and other people that I've I've met, you know, pull for their friends uh, very much, and just even pull for their former teammates or teammates to succeed. But there was, like, a different level of, of Griff being so excited about Davis Schneider's success. And, you know, I, part and part of it, I kind of thought it was just the amazing story uh, and, and the 28th round pick that has progressed his way from, as we talk about, three straight years at the rookie level uh, to eventually being on the development list to playing once a week. Like we get into all of that to mashing through double and then triple a and this big league opportunity where in 14 games, this dude has amassed a 1.5 F war sitting 426, 526, 894 at the big league level at the big league level, a 1.5 F four in 14 games, six home runs. It's utterly absurd. But even if he just came up for a cup of coffee, that in itself would have been remarkable given you know where he's been at at parts in this journey. 
But that's not the only reason why Griffin and, and everybody, and, and now myself included, pull for this guy so hard. It's because he is one of the more genuine and laid back and awesome dudes that you will really be able to hear from, I think, on the Major League Baseball stage. And you could just tell now, no matter how much success he has at the big league level, this guy's always going to be laid back, awesome, and easy to root for. Of course, we talk about the mustache. We talk about you know the, the mental side of things. And there were some really powerful things that Davis was you know, willing to share about you know, his journey and some of the things that he's gone through over the, the last couple years that you know have kind of helped put baseball in perspective a little bit, where he's still working his butt off every single day, but you don't have to have your happiness and quality of life hinge on your performance on the baseball field as much as it can be you know a very consuming thing to be a professional baseball player and and know that you you are trying to achieve your dream that you are pumping so much time and effort into so there was just so many incredible things that Davis was able to share perspective wise and again if you haven't heard some of the previous episodes and when we talked about underrated prospects or or players who you know should get an opportunity at some point this year to perform at the big league level and get a taste we had talked about Davis and the improvements that he's made of course a big reason why Davis was on my radar is because I was fortunate enough to meet him a couple years ago and kind of just monitor what he was doing but I'm not going to highlight prospects as guys who could legitimately be called up and help a big league team just because they are nice guys or or friends I'm going to be more likely to look into them but the numbers don't lie the data doesn't lie and Davis Schneider this season through AAA was putting up different kind of numbers both on the surface and beneath the hood that got us all really excited about what he could possibly do at the big league level and of course I mean you see a guy slash 275 416 553 at the AAA level with 21 pumps and 87 games yeah you're going to be able to say hey that guy deserves a look at the the big league level 18% walk rate 22% K rate that's definitely a guy that's worthy of a look but you could also understand why you know, some other guys would get preferential treatment. Uh, there wasn't the spot on the 40 man just yet. And he wasn't on the 40 man yet. So there was potential for him to kind of not get that opportunity. But I also think that the data beneath the hood, uh, one that helped us highlight him as a guy that really should deserve an opportunity. But two, I think it really helped reinforce that, hey, this guy's legit. This guy can really play. His 90th percentile exit velocity jumped by multiple ticks. His contact rates improved. He lifts the ball in the air consistently. The average exit velocity spikes. He, he just looks like a different level of a hitter. He went from solid minor leaguer to impact bat at the highest level, and the data backs that up. It's been really fun to see. Now, could anybody have imagined the six home runs in 14 games the way David Schneider has been able to put things together? Of course not. But I will say there is a lot of validity to this breakout. I would say the numbers beneath the hood say that. I would say the conversation that you hear from this guy and the mentality and the adjustments that he's made to be able to unlock that, I think highlight that this is for real. Uh, and again, I don't think he's going to hit 426 forever, but that this guy belongs in the big leagues and can be a good big leaguer I think this is just a classic example of a talented dude really figuring it out both at the plate with his moves and then mentally and the way he approaches the game and those things merge together to create a breakout and a really special season that is just the beginning I think for the story now of Davis Schneider the big leaguer there's so many things that were so fascinating 
about Davis's story that he shares with us in this episode uh, that just really put things in perspective along the way and make him easy to root for. So without further delay, here is the interview with rookie sensation and the mustache man, Davis Schneider of the Toronto Blue Jays. And here is the man that is setting, I would say, Major League Baseball on fire right now with his little power streak, Davis Schneider of the Toronto Blue Jays. Davis, we've been talking about you on the show. I mean, how couldn't we? I think everybody's been talking about what you've been doing, but I don't think people realize how awesome your story is and how long of a journey it's been. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on and and talk about it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I mean, uh, I remember uh, Griff was telling me about you a couple of years ago. So it's cool to kind of, we kind of circle back and kind of have this moment right now. So thanks for having me, though. Of course, man. And it, it's been... <laughs> You know, it's one of those things where I love following, you know, friends of friends or, you know, always keeping tabs. And, you know, I know you you and Griffin Conan go way back to, to to the Blue Jays days. And it's been cool to just see, you know, you put up numbers, you put up solid numbers, you do the the progression, the progression through the minor leagues. But at a certain point, you kind of have to to separate yourself and and prove that you are a a big league piece. Right. And And, and somebody that can actually make a difference at the highest level. But not only do you do you do that for a big league team now, you do that for a team that's in the hunt and you do that for a team that's been, you know, not sparing any expense at loading up the big league roster. We'll, we'll work backwards a little bit, but what has it been like to be able to go up? You know, it's one thing to do it at, at the big league level. You hit your first home run at Fenway, which is also absurd. We'll get into that. But what is it like to get to the big leagues for a team like the Toronto Blue Jays and be able to make an impact the way that you have? I mean, it's been pretty nuts for sure. But like, this is like my first time, obviously I just got caught up. So I don't really have any other experience when it comes to like, all right, being like on a losing team and then getting caught up. So like, this is like my own reality. So like, this is the only kind of time where I realized, all right, this is, this is what it is. So like, I don't really have any other like way to speak of, but it's been pretty cool, especially just because we're in the hunt. Like we're two and a half back with the Rangers and the Astros. So like every game matters. And you know, once you step foot on the field, it's kind of, you kind of forget about all the outside noise at that point. You just, you're out there with the team kind of just trying to compete. And so in that aspect, I mean, it's been pretty cool though, for sure. <laughs> so you, you get your big league debut at Fenway. And I mean, I mean, that's got to talk about nerves. It's one thing to just get the, the, the big league opportunity and you, you were probably just nervous enough as is. D- did it add any, any layer of like, holy crap when you're also playing in a historic ballpark, because I, I see a lot of big leaguers who've been doing it for a couple of years who didn't have the scheduling of Fenway. And then, you know, finally get there and they're still almost like have this, this awe from being at Fenway. That was your first game. You have like almost the, the double trouble with that. H- how were the nerves in that first game? Well, yeah, when people ask me about that, I feel like everything leading up to that was way more nerve wracking than the actual game. I mean, obviously playing at Fenway and in front of you know, all those fans and the, the historical aspect was, was nuts, but like, like the media, all the interviews, I'm like, I'm never, I wasn't accustomed to that. So like kind of having that whole day beforehand was kind of, kind of nerve wracking and anxious. But, um, you know, like I said earlier, like she said, foot on the field, obviously my first at bat, I was like, all right, this is, this is awesome. You know, like seeing, uh, the green monster and facing, you know, Raphael Devers, James Paxton, Justin Turner. That was definitely like kind of like kind of mind blowing. But once you set foot on the field, it's kind of like any other baseball game, in my opinion. Obviously, there's more fans and 
you know, you're in the big leagues, but like it's, you kind of, you get used to it when it, cause like you've just been playing baseball your whole life. So like kind of have to, um, shun all that other outside stuff. And so, but it, it was definitely nerve wracking. It was definitely had butterflies and everything like that. And, you know, the whole game was kind of a blur to me just because I was just on edge and, you know, my whole body was just like, it was like an outside experience. And so, I mean, after I hit my homer, I don't remember even swinging the bat, to be honest. Like, I, to be honest, I thought it was like a fastball when I hit it just because like everything was happening so fast. And then running around the bases, I just couldn't help smiling because seeing everyone in the dugout just being up on their feet, kind of fist pumping was, was a cool part about it. I mean, I'm trying to imagine that, you know, in terms of like, y- you get that opportunity to, to put one over the monster too. I, and w- what was that? Like, at what point did you kind of have this moment of like, this is real, this is, this is happening. Did that maybe not hit you till you got to the hotel later? Was it when you were floating around the bases or like, I, I mean, watching that ball sail over the monster feels like something that, you know, you like wake up from and you hear the alarm on your iPhone and, and get your day started. Yeah. I would say kind of after the whole Fenway series, after we played Boston where it kind of, kind of sat or sunk in for me just because like the first three days, I mean, I was in the lineup all three days. So like everything was kind of happening so fast and I got back to my hotel and my buddies were there. My, I had my whole family there. So I didn't really have time to kind of like by myself to really kind of, sit back and let it sink in. But I mean, it's still kind of uh, a dream to me. I mean, even right now we're in Colorado and I feel like it's still not even real. I feel like when I get back home uh, in a month or two, it's going to be where it's really going to kind of sink in for me just because, you know, you go to the park every day and you just kind of have to like zone out like what you did the previous day. So like once the season's over, I can really reflect on like kind of what I did the whole year. So, well, I want to talk about what you've done this whole year, because I don't know how much of like an advanced metrics nerd you are, but like in 14 games to accumulate a 1.5 F4 is, is absolutely absurd. Like insanity. I I think you and Mookie Betts are the only players like that are on that kind of like F war pace. Um, And of course hitting six home runs in 14 games. will do that. We'll get into that in a second, but it, it's what's got you here that is is most impressive to me, right? You, again, you, you've put up great numbers pretty much at every single stop as a 28th round pick out of high school, but it was what kind of kicked into another gear for you offensively this year that gave you this opportunity to, to get to the big league level, hitting 21 home runs in triple a, uh, you know, walking at an 18% clip, the exit velocities were up. And, you know, I, I went on a blue Jays uh, podcast, locked on blue Jays, uh, a couple months ago and just to talk about the farm system and they're like, is there anybody that you see any like trends with? And I had noticed that you had big jumps in data, but also you had a tangible adjustment to your swing, right? You, you go to this toe tap and uh, that's obviously helped you tap into some more power. And I'll get into the specific numbers, but what has clicked for you on a different level this year? Was it the mechanical adjustment? Was it the approach? Was it a culmination of things? Yeah, I would definitely say it's a whole bunch of things kind of thrown in the one. I mean, having the ABS and AAA there kind of helped me a lot, just kind of zone into a certain approach because it makes a zone a lot smaller. Pitchers kind of have to throw middle a little bit more, so you're going to have those balls where you can kind of drive over the fence and hit pretty hard. And, you know, my hitting coach on a AAA, he was my hitting coach in AA last year too, and he's a really good hitting coach, Matt Haig. He He knows what the swing is all about. He knows when your swing is in trouble. He kind of knows how to fix it. 
And so we kind of tinkered with a little stuff earlier on in the season. And we went to a toe tap and we went to kind of adjustment on my hands. And I feel like that's really helped me just kind of consistently hit the ball in the air pool side. And obviously I hit the ball to right um, sometimes too, but it was mostly just pool side hard in the air that kind of really helped me increase those home run numbers and those power numbers. And um, yeah. Oh no, sorry. I was just going to ask you, what about uh, that makes sense from like the driving the ball perspective, but how, the two and a half mile per hour jump in your 90th percentile exit velocity, like that, that's a huge gain. Like, that's usually stuff that you see from like an 18 year old prospect to like physically matures to 19 as he gets 19, 20, 21. But I mean, this is deep into your minor league career to make that kind of, that kind of jump. Like what, what did you find? Um, I definitely got a lot stronger for sure. I feel like the strength portion definitely helps you hit the ball harder. Um, my swing has gotten a lot quicker and a lot faster and having that consistent swing where you can, you know, um, hit the ball a little bit harder on a, on a consistent uh, rate definitely helps. I mean, cause I used to change my swing a lot. Me and Conan used to talk about it all the time. Like even him, he changes his time to time. It's a sport where you just always feel like you want to tanker. Yeah. And me personally, like sometimes my hands feel bad in a certain spot. My feet feel like I got to be more narrow. Like it depends on the day and on the week. If you look at my swing throughout the whole year, you wouldn't find a two week span where it's at different, different stands just because I like to just feel comfortable that day. And whether that's switching my hands up and my, where my feet are, I feel like I have to do that in order to be ready for that certain day. But, um, you know, I definitely, I, it, well, it doesn't, this might not correlate, but I definitely started using Victus bats every day now this year. And having a diff, like a good bat company definitely helps you hit the ball harder because Victus Wood, in my opinion, is the best. And having a good bat um, definitely makes a big, a little bit of a difference when it comes to hitting the ball a little bit harder. And that so was not, that was not an ad. That was it. I would love for it to be an ad. Um, but I, I do know that they make some, some nice bats there. And um, I think they make the really like the, the cool ones that we saw, like the little league world series and stuff. Yeah, too. they do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like the, the pencils and all that good stuff. Yeah. Those, yeah, those so are they, cool. They, they have really good wood and that definitely helps you hit the, hit the ball a little bit harder. Cause if you're using softer wood, it definitely makes a difference. Even if it's like one or two miles per hour. So like, I mean, anything, and, and, everything helps. And you mentioned getting your A swing off just more consistently, right? I think there's like uh, just a confidence level that goes into that as well. And I mean, you're obviously a strong dude who you figure out how to leverage your body. Did you feel like that, that toe tap kind of helped you stay back a little bit better or, or get into your, your lower half a little bit more? Uh, Cause it's interesting. Most people will equate more of a leg kick with power, but that's not always the case if you're not, you know, holding the back hip as long, or if you know, you're leaking out a little bit from that leg kick did you feel like the toe tap almost helped you stay in your lower half more? For sure. It's, it's definitely kind of like a hybrid. Cause I do a toe tap plus it's like a little bit of a leg kick once mm-hmm. they get outside the toe tap. So it's kind of like a hybrid, but like what the toe tap lets me do is kind of like, like you said, I kind of get into my legs a little bit more. And I feel like I have a little bit more on that backside longer. And once you have that, then you can kind of explode off of that. And you know, that's going to result in hard contact a little bit more often. And like I said earlier, having the ABS down there definitely kind of helps you zone in a, a little bit more to your approach. You, you kind of know what you're looking for and you don't have to nibble at the corners because the pitcher's not going to get that strike yeah. the ball kind of here and there. Like what's a ball is going to be a ball. You're not going to get that 3-0 that's right on the corner that they're going to call a strike. And so having that definitely helps a lot. And like I said, my approach is, you know, hunt the heater. If they hang something, obviously you're going to want to hit it, but don't try to just settle for a little poke single to right or 
something like that. I'm trying to do damage when it comes to the plate. And that's why I kind of have a little bit strikeout, a little bit higher of a strikeout rate. But that's why I walk well, I walk a lot too because I'm yeah. definitely passive early but when it comes to off-speed. Because if I see an off-speed that I know I can't really hit for damage, then I take it. Yeah. And so pitchers usually kind of throw more balls off than, than not when it comes to off-speed early. That's what I was going to ask you too. And it, and it seems like, you see the 16% chase rate. I mean, that's, that's, that's elite stuff that you're running right around there. And um, yeah, that's including AAA. And I feel like, especially you mentioned the ABS for hitters like yourself, for guys who are patient, who, you know, like to zero in, sometimes it almost seems like AAA can be a bit easier to a degree than AA because you have these somewhat erratic arms that are getting an, an inch or two more off the plate. And yeah, sometimes guys like you seem to go up to AAA and, succeed even more do you think that was part of it as well on top of the improvements that you made yeah for sure i mean because when you're in double a you kind of have you have better stuff when it comes to pitchers they're they throw harder they might have nastier secondary stuff but their control is a little bit not there and once you get the triple a pitchers are going to be around the zone more so like you kind of have a better approach and you kind of know what you're looking for a little bit more you're not gonna usually there's guys who are wild and sometimes they throw three straight strikes on the outside corner and then like it's like damn that kind of yeah. you know yeah but once you get a triple a you're gonna have guys who know how to pitch but they're around the zone a little bit more so you're gonna have to be a little bit more in tune to your approach yeah. and that definitely just helps me mm-hmm. kind of stick to it and make sure i'm in the right spot that day totally makes sense and i, I want to well, we're going to get to the mustache as well, because I, I, so you were going to come on for transparency. You were going to come on the other day and you you guys ended up having a crazy game. Um, mm-hmm. And I was watching the game to get an idea of, of when you would be available because you were kind enough to to try to make it happen right after the ball game. And I'm watching and, you know, I, I'd been tuning into some Blue Jays games, but I, I had not seen the mustache fan section yet. I think that's a new thing. So I'm excited to, to talk to you about that. I'll get to that in a second. But in that game, you smoked a home run. You just missed another one by about five feet. And I think that wall is also super high. What has allowed you to kind of come back around and, and, and do what you're doing again? I know it's only been 14 games, but I, I almost feel like there's been a, a ride already that you've had where it was like, come out really hot. It had a couple games where, you know, it was the big leagues and it's like, okay, you mentioned the strikeouts, but then get right back to being that guy who's going nuclear again. Like how did you weather that so quickly and, and shake off, you know, a couple tough at bats or whatever it may be uh, to, to keep going nuclear the way that you are at the big league level? Yeah. I mean, I think that's just what baseball is. I mean, you can have a hot streak and then you're bound to get cold at some point. And you know, the, the guardian or the guardians pitching staff was really good. Gavin Williams, like you got to tip your cap to some pitchers. I mean, not every day you can hit a guy. And I mean, that week where I kind of struggled, I mean, obviously it kind of um, pitched me up in the zone, which is kind of where my hole is. And they have really good pitching staff, like I said, over there. So like, it's, you got to tip your cap at some point. And then once you're in practice and during BP, you got to work on something. And you know, my biggest thing is working on the high fastball, making sure I can get to that spot whenever I'm pitched to. And I know that's not going to be like my number one zone where I can hit the ball over the fence, but it's good to know that, okay, if I can just see it and lay off it at some times or even just foul it off, then pitchers are going to bound to make a mistake down. Yeah. And obviously some of the home runs I hit my last three were up in the zone, but like just working on that in practice and getting a better feel for it definitely helps a lot when it comes to 
though, when you're in the game, just because you're just used to it during practice. So just getting those reps in oh. during BP and just high VLO stuff, it definitely makes a big difference. So what's the story behind the mustache here? Cause I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's an incredible stash. I, I can't lie. And it's, <laughs> uh, it's something that's just, I think become uh you know, it's it's just added to the to the to the intrigue. I think, right? Like you, you, this guy who was not on. You know, I don't think Blue Jays fans' radars in terms of you know when they put together their starting nine that they expected this year, and then David Schneider comes up, helps ignite them when they needed it the most, and he also rocks this unbelievable stash. So there's like this mystique to you as well, uh, like where did that come from? And, you know, how have you kind of embraced the role of the, the guy that somewhat came out of nowhere and is, you know, proven that not only that he belongs, but that he could be an integral part of this team that, you know, has huge aspirations. Yeah. So last year I was started out in high A and I was batting like 120 for the first two months of the season. And I had a full on beard and my buddies are joking, you know, just go to a stash, just switch it up a little bit. And then I saved it and I just started hitting really well. And then I got called up to double A and then I grew out back my beard again. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to shave it because I was doing terrible again. So maybe I'll, if I go back to the stash, I'm going to start hitting well. And then I started hitting well once I got the stash again. And so then this year I didn't start out too well. And I kind of either grew a beard again and then shaved the stash and then I kind of tinkered with it throughout the whole year. And then for like the last month I had a mustache. And then once it got called up, I was like, do I shave it? And everyone was like, no, you, you got to keep it. Like, don't change anything. Just keep it. Don't grow out a beard. Don't shave it. I was like, all right. And then it goes perfectly with my uh, Nike Monarch shoes. So like having those, having the mustache and the Monarchs together is, is definitely a look. And so, and I wanted to like take off the Monarchs, but they're like, no, you got to keep them. Like it's the look. And so like now I have to keep it. Like I, I kind of want to shave it sometimes just because I'm too noticeable out in public in Toronto, just because like, uh, and I'm, I'm a low key guy. So like I kind of hate, not hate, but I'd rather just kind of fly under the radar sometimes. And, no doubt. You know, signing no autographs doubt. and stuff is cool, but I'm definitely a low key guy who just kind of sticks to himself. No. And that's the funny thing because it, it's one thing to to rock the mustache when you're in the minor leagues, you can look as you can, you can have a unique look and it doesn't really matter because how many yeah. people are really noticing it? Maybe a few fans at the ballpark, whoever tunes into MILB TV, but the, the quality is so bad. You can barely see the, the mustache anyways. <laughs> like it's another thing to be like, I'm rocking this crazy stash on national television now. And that must've been like a, a, a kind of a wild moment as well, where you're just like, I'm going to embrace this. Yeah. I mean, I didn't expect it to kind of like get this blown out of proportion where everyone's kind of wearing mustaches and everyone's, you well, know, it, it helps when you hit six home runs in 14 <laughs> games. You know, I think if you're hitting a buck 20, I don't think anybody's rocking mustaches. That's true. <laughs> that definitely helps. But it's just funny because my sister made some like shirts with like the MLB logo on it. And it has um, the glasses on that on the guy with a little mustache. And so like a lot of people have bought those shirts, even like Ernie Clement was wearing it into the, the clubhouse the other day. And I'm like, dude, just take that off. Like, what are you doing? Why are you wearing that? But it's just funny how like everyone kind of like um, makes a joke about it and just kind of is it on it. So, I mean, I'm grateful for it to happen. It's funny. I mean, at least no one's like making fun of it, but it, no, everyone's no. kind of making fun of it for it, but it's no. just a funny thing. And I don't care. Like I, I just, I'll, I'll ride with it for however long I can. Maybe in the off season I'll probably shave it, but I gotta ride it. I gotta ride with it for the rest of the season. 
if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And and yeah. you know, I think a big part of it too, man, is is genuinely how easy you are to root for. Uh, if people can't tell by now, by your personality, you, you mentioned you're a low key guy, but also the the story, right? A 28th round pick. Who you know, I I was trying to think of the way to, to structure this question, but I I just gotta like fire. Like, what made you sign out of high school in the 28th round? Um, and did you know what was that? What was the decision there? Because obviously you made the right decision and it's worked out, but you know, that must have been an interesting spot to be in. I know that you know, there was there was people that that really liked you out of the draft. I know Baseball America had you as a top 500, you know, prospect going into it, and um, you, you got this opportunity and and took the most of it and made the most of it. But what what made you decide to to start your professional career being drafted that late? To be honest, I didn't really think anything of it. Like. When I got drafted, I said to myself, okay, I'm going. Like, I didn't really have any other thought. Like, like I don't know why. Like, people ask me that now. And it's like, why didn't you just go to college? You only signed for $50,000. I'm like, $50,000 is a lot to me. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, Damn, that's a lot of money, you know? And like I said, I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, oh, I got the opportunity to go play pro baseball. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go. And then my parents were, they wanted me to do it. I mean, I, it was my decision. But like my parents didn't weren't pressuring me to do anything. They were like, you can make the right decision wherever you do. If you want to go to college, go to college. If you want to go do this, go do this. And I was like, I want to go play baseball. And I always thought to myself, college is always going to be there. I mean, they have that program to where if I want to go back to college, I'll pay for it. So like having that in the, as like plan B was definitely big because I feel like college is always there. Like mm-hmm. you don't need to, I don't need to go play baseball at college in order to get a degree. So if, if baseball didn't work out, I could have went back and, you know, spent four more years doing that. But I always thought to myself, this could be the only opportunity I get. I could I could go three years at Rutgers and suck and never get drafted again. So I was like, this this might be all the only opportunity I could have. That's that's honestly really cool. I It's interesting because I'd say most people, it's one of the more difficult decisions that they have to make. And usually the, they really allow the team to make the decision for them by setting a high price tag and saying, need it. And if it's not met, like, okay, my decision's made for me because usually it's just that hard when the ball is in your court. Yeah. Is there, would you have taken any number? Like, would you, if, if they said, here's $10,000, like, are you still playing professional baseball right away? Probably. Yeah. I mean, Dude, that's it was so funny fucking just because awesome. <laughs> like my agent, my dad, or not even have an agent, but like my scout, the one who uh, scouted me um, said, they only have $50,000 for him. And my dad was like, okay, that, that's fine. Like we don't really, my, and he asked me, it was like, is $50,000 enough? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Like I, I thought I was going to get less at that point. You know what I mean? For being that low of a pick. And so like, like I said, I didn't really think anything of it. I thought this is the coolest thing. And I just wanted to run with it and see where it uh, took me. Cause I always thought I was talented enough to make it. And I thought to myself, okay, if my foot's in the door, then I could really make something out of it. That's that's yeah. an awesome perspective because I think, you know, it really becomes, like I said, it just becomes such a money game, you know, nowadays and with, with the advisors and, you know, and I understand it. You're trying to set yourself up for, you know, just safety, even if it doesn't yeah. work out. And I get that side of it, but it is kind of refreshing to just hear someone say, yeah, I just wanted to get my foot in the door and, and grind my way through it. And, and, and you did that. At what point did you, you know, of course you, you, you're playing the sport. You, you always believe that you can make it, but there's, there's that, I guess, moment where it's like, I can really do this. Like I'm, I, it's really potentially going to happen. 
when did that come for you? Because again, you, you, you start in rookie ball as a high school draftee and your first season in rookie ball was, was really solid. You do. And correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I'm, this is just me looking at the stat lines and you do another mm-hmm. year in rookie ball and wasn't as good for you that year. And then you do a third year in rookie. Yeah, rookie. <laughs> yeah. And you put up really good numbers that year in 30, in 34 games. And you get the opportunity to go to short season where it was a rough 17 games there. So, you know, at that point, that's all you have. And then you have COVID, which is so messed up. So now you're probably lamenting, right? Even more on like how eager you must've been to, to go do something and, you know, kind of make that leap and keep pushing forward. At, at that point, where were you at mentally? Cause you know, we'll get to the, the, the brighter parts of the story because you start going crazy yeah. post COVID, but co- that must've been really hard when, with no minor league season, not really being where you wanted to be just yet. Probably. I assume like three years of rookie ball is, you know, a, a, an interesting spot to be in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, after COVID during the 21 season, everyone kind of was backed up because everyone missed the, everyone missed the season. So like every team was kind of backed up at that point. And so I went to high A for the 21 season and I was playing once a week. And, I, and when, and when I did get in there, I was, terrible for the first three months of the season. I was batting, I think a hundred for the first, like, I mean, I didn't play a lot of games, but the first three months is I was still batting a hundred and I only had like 140 at bats for a whole full season and usually get that in a short season. And so, and then I started, uh, hit well at the end of the season, I got a little bit more playing time, but then during 22, I went back to high A and they were like, all right, you're going to start playing every day. Just, go out there, get your reps in. And then, cause we, we do believe in you. We think you're a key aspect or a key prospect. So like, just go out there, spend another season in high or start out in high and see what you can do. And then unfortunately I didn't start out too well in high that year either. I was batting like 120 for the first <laughs> two months. And I always start out like, bad. Where, like, where, like you at men- where are you at mentally at that point? Like you, you just oh. finally getting some playing time and, and then you're not doing as well. And you know, again, like, it's got to be really tough when you're starting to get phased out of the lineup. And then you're wondering if you're going to get phased back out again. Like, how did you, how'd you stay the course? Like, where were you at? Where was your headspace? Yeah. In 21, when I wasn't playing well and like halfway through the year, I, I literally wanted to quit. Like I texted one of my buddies and I was like, dude, I think I'm done. And he just recently got released at spring training as well. And I texted him. I was like, dude, I, I think it's, I think I'm done. Like I'm not playing well and they're not playing me. I feel like, I don't really have a future anymore. And he was just uh, like, dude, if I was there, I mean, I wouldn't even care if I was playing. I just want to be around the, the guys around the clubhouse. And I was like, no, damn, you're, you're right. Like this is better than doing nothing at home. And so I kind of, I luckily I stuck it out. Like that kind of really helped me just kind of power through and just really realize, okay, I, this is like even a blessing, even if I'm doing bad, like it, it doesn't really matter how you're doing. As long as you're there, that anything could really happen. And so that really kind of helped me just kind of stay locked in and make sure like, all right, I can still play this game. And that helped me with my confidence too, because I wasn't really confident at the time. I didn't think I was good enough, you know, just because I was struggling just so bad. You know, when did those tides turn for you? At the end of 21 is when I started swinging a little bit well, but like I I still, I had my OPS was over 800, but I only had 140 at bats. And so that wasn't really a big sample size to really go off of. And then once I got, high and started playing every day in 2022 then i started doing really well and then i went to double a and then i got to put on the development list which is where you know i 
you don't play and you're not really on the roster, but you're like, you're on the roster, but you don't just play for a whole week just because we had too many guys there. No, it was in the beginning of August. And so once that, once that happened, I was like, damn, like this year is kind of washed. Like, and I was, I was only bad, like 220. Like I wasn't really doing bad. And then once I got put off of that, then I started like going, going off. Like I got my average up to like 290 in double A like, with like 140 at bats. And then I got promoted to triple A and did it all right there. And it wasn't really until this year, like maybe when I had like 14 homers where I was like, damn, I, this really could be possible for me to get caught up this year. I mean, the Blue Jays were doing good. So like, and there wasn't really that much room on like the 40 man. So like, that was like the tough aspect of it just because, you know, you gotta be on the 40 man in order to get caught up. But it wasn't really until like halfway through the year where I was like, okay, this is, this is possible. And, and at that point, I think when you're performing in AAA, it's like, okay, even if it's not going to happen with, with my ball club, with my organization, yeah. I've solidified myself as either a rule five guy or solidified myself as someone that's going to you know, continue to get consistent playing time at the AAA level and eventually get a look somewhere, which you know I think is like that big sticking point is like, can you put up decent numbers in AAA? Then usually you're going to keep getting looks and keep getting opportunities, but I mean, it, that just walk through there of, of your path is absolutely unbelievable because I don't think people realize, like, again, like I, we just see numbers and, and a fan graphs page. And, you know, I can see year by year and assume like that must have been a tough year for him. Oh, that, you know, that that must have been where it started to click for him. But you don't know the the thoughts, the, you know, the emotions that that go through and the ups and downs to, to get to some of those numbers at the end of each year. Um and, and I think the, the most important thing that you mentioned here is like you were that close to giving it up, right? Like, yeah. And, and the butterfly effect of those things is, is pretty remarkable. When you look back now, and of course, I mean, you got a lot ahead of you, and I'm I'm really excited to see what you continue to do. But I mean, you're a big leaguer, and no one can ever take that away from you. And not only that, you got six pumps in the big league, so like that's already insane. But what is it about you? What is it about Davis Schneider that allowed you to be able to get to where you are now versus where you were before? Because not a lot of guys get to, you know, go from the development list in high A or double A and end up, you know, not only in the big leagues, but performing in the big leagues. Yeah. I think it's like, obviously I thought I was always talented enough, but I think it's just like mentally like during COVID during 2020, um, my brother passed away. So like having that happen to me just kind of really kind of put like a uh, thought in my head, like, all right, like there's nothing in this world that really matters besides like family and like how happy you are. And so like having that happen kind of really just put in my head to where, you know, if baseball doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Like I could not that I could care less, but like an important thing in the world, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then like, and that makes you even play better just because like, you're not worried about, obviously I still get mad when I strike out or get yeah. out or stuff like that, just because it's human nature. But you know, you realize at the end of the day, it's not the most important thing that really matters. And so that definitely helps me on the field, just really kind of be grateful for what you have. And, you know, I just couldn't be more grateful for everything that's ever that happened so far, you know, in my career in the all major right. leagues and, and all the support I have for my family and friends. And that's the best part about it is just like, everyone back home who's like reached out and kind of supported me through everything is kind of the coolest part because there's people I don't even know texting me They're like, <laughs> dude, congrats. Like, this is awesome. Like everything like that. And that's like, 
the most heartwarming thing about it is just like you have so much people in your corner that you don't really realize that that part of it too you know and it's it's i was excited for you because of how excited griff was for you and all the things (laughs) like yo griff has told me so many great things about you and i'm like i remember when he told me like i forget where we were but he was like shit man they put davis on the development lesson like i could just see how like bummed he was so it's like the ups and downs the people that are in your corner they you know they're riding with you and and that's that's a really cool part of it but you know i i really appreciate you sharing the the aspect of your brother because i i don't i don't think people realize too like baseball can become very consuming when it's when it's your your career and and all you do and and you're trying to to make it and for me i even just playing in high school like it used to make or break my week depending on how i play like i and that was also a younger person, but like, even now, like if I make a mistake or whatever with on the media side of things, like it used to really consume me. And and I lost my father uh, about five, six years ago. And it was a similar type of thing where it was just like, you're able to compartmentalize the things that used to like feel way bigger than they were to you. It's like, okay, like for sure my life moves on is okay. I'll get through whatever this, you know, rough patch is. Uh, but mm-hmm. I don't think we get that perspective usually, unless unfortunately you get shaken by something yeah. that, you know, really jars you to, to see something totally different. And, um, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that. Is there, is there anything that you do to, to carry his, his memory as you play or, and, you know, was he much of a, a baseball fan himself? Yeah. I mean, he, he supported me through everything. I mean, he was, he was a couple years older than me. He was, um, he was five years. Yeah. Five years older than me. So like he, he was like my number one guy, like every, every one of his friends, like he was like, dude, like your, your brother always told me you were going to make it like everything like that. And so he was definitely like my number one guy and number one supporter. But, um, you know, I feel like just going out there and just giving it a hundred percent is what kind of makes his memory like even, like worth it, you know, just because like he, I remember he would get on me all the time. Like if I had like a bad game, he would, he's like the number one guy who would be like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, you gotta be better. And I'm like, even in like pickup basketball games, we would play together. He would just like yell at me or just like kind of want me to succeed. I'm not like yell at me, but like just always try to improve it's on my game, no matter yeah. what that was. Yeah. Even in like ping pong or just any competition that we had together, he always wanted to bring out the best in me. And I feel like that's the biggest thing about baseball is that like, if you don't give a hundred percent, then like, then, um, you know, you're, you're going to regret it. And so like, I go out there and just try to make sure I'm always prepared, always ready to play and just go out there and just leave it all out on the field. And if you do that, then, you know, that's all you really, really can ask for. If you go for four or four Ks, if you put in the effort, then that's all that matters in my opinion. You hit the nail on the head there. And I think it's relatable to, to, again, like, perspective for anybody in in any aspect of life again like work is tough okay it seems like it's going to consume you you get fired god forbid like whatever it may be again like there's you zoom out and there's just so many more things in life that you know could put it in perspective and 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 that you know means so much more and i think it allows you to kind of play a little bit looser or work a little bit looser or exist a little bit looser so i i really do appreciate that when you kind of look forward now. And then there's one other thing I want to ask you about, like what you like to do off the field. But when you look forward now, what are, what are your goals? Like what is, I mean, it's gotta be shifting, you know, and, and I know a lot of guys 
aren't like specifically like writing on a whiteboard, like this is what I want to do. I want these exact numbers, but you know, I'm sure playing hard. I know you're going to give me that answer, but what, what do you, what would make the rest of this year successful for you? I want you to be selfish in this answer. Cause you can say, make the playoffs for the blue Jays. I know you're going to say that too, but give me like, what would make this successful for you and what you're hoping to get out of the rest of this year and what you're going to kind of bring into next year from what you've learned already. Well, number one thing, obviously, make the playoffs. I'm, I'm definitely going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I like, knew you were going to say that. That's got to be it. Yeah. But for me personally, I mean, I feel like if you worry about the stats and worry about the outcomes too much, then, like, they're not going to happen. Yeah. And so, like, if you if you just go out there and make sure your work is in the right spot, like, you're, you're prepared. I feel like that's the number one thing for me is making sure when I do go to the field, how do I get ready for the game? How am I going to be prepared? What am I going to do in order to make sure I am successful out in the field? And if I can do that every single day, then I feel like the numbers are going to take care of itself. And you're not going to get a hit every game or, you know, hit a homer every game, but you just got to make, I just want to make sure that I'm in the right spot. And I kind of want to learn a lot of stuff from these guys that are here. Cause there's a lot of vets on this team. There's some, some good players. <laughs> yeah. Some good players that's been around the league. They won one world series belt springer, all these guys. And so if I can learn stuff from them, which I already have, but if I can learn a little bit more from them, then, I feel like I can take this year and make sure the next year is even even better. Is there is there one thing you can highlight that was just kind of eye opening to learn from some of these guys? Because I mean, again, you look around; even the young guys are like already so proven, like a Bo Bichette, uh, even like a Vlad Guerrero Jr. Like these guys have it pretty figured out, uh, you know, relatively speaking. Uh, is there a, any conversation? I mean, Brandon Belt's got to be pretty. That guy's got to have just endless knowledge that that yeah. like really opened your eyes to a different perspective uh, that you just would have never known without, you know, 10 years of experience or whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, the most recent thing that happened, I mean, Bo, he said we were on the bench. I think, I think it was either game two or game three. It wasn't yesterday. It was game two against the nationals. I think after I hit my Homer and I asked him, it's like, dude, what, what's the, what do you think the difference between AAA and the big leagues is? And he just went like, it's all in your head. I mean, this is literally, it's all mental. And obviously it's true, but he was just like, dude, it's all the same shit. Like, obviously there's going to be outliers when it comes to pitchers. Guys are going to be throwing a hundred or, you know, have nasty secondary stuff, but like those guys are the outliers. So you're not going to be facing them every day. You're going to be facing guys who are throwing 92, 94. So like, if you can just realize that, then I feel like you're going to have success in this league. And once he said that, I was like, you know what? He's right. Just because when you think of the big leagues, you think of guys who are just nasty all the way around. Yeah, And obviously, like I said, there's guys who can do that, who can put the ball 500 feet or throw 100, but there's not that many of them. So, like, once you get around the fact that these guys are human and they make mistakes, then I feel like good things will happen when it yeah. comes to that. You know, I, I love that. That makes makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. What is the what does David Schneider like to do off the field? And, you know, what do you like to do when you're when you're not playing ball, whether it's you know after a game and then also in the offseason? I mean, after the game, I just kind of like to chill and sleep. I don't really do too much when it comes to that. I mean, I'll, I'll go out and have a drink here and there for sure. If the buddies want to go out, I'll drink with them. But, like, I'm not a big drinker, but I'll do it if my buddies want to do it. But in the off season, I, I do three things. I, I work out, play a lot of golf, and I hang out with my dog. So those are the three things I'm looking forward to the most when it, when it comes to the off season. And it. so, like, and I mean, I'm a simple guy. Like, I don't really like to – I just like to hang out and chill. I'm a very like, like I said, low key, laid back guy. So, like, and I like to just hang out with my dog because like he's the only one who doesn't really annoy me. So, like, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Go- golf, yeah, golf I, is I a popular one. I'm a simple guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a simple guy. I play golf, hang out with my dog and work out. That sounds good. Obviously, I hang out with my buddies here and there, but you know, dog a little those bit are the only things I really like to do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Dog a little yeah. bit more. Uh, is yeah. there like any, like, do you like specific shows, like hobbies? Like, okay, for example, just visited Griff out in uh, Lehigh Valley. They play a, a ridiculous <laughs> amount of Mario Kart. Like him, Troy Johnston, uh, basically the whole team now. They're just all on Mario Kart all the time. Like that's their guilty pleasure uh, when they're not when they're not playing ball and not preparing for the game. Uh, is there is there anything else? Or are you just that? It, those three boil it down. No guilty pleasure. Yeah, basically, I don't really play video games. I used to when Fortnite was was popular. Yeah. I used to play that. Obviously, yeah. everyone played that. So yeah. like. But now I don't really play video games. I just kind of, I watch TV. I like Seinfeld. I like, me and Griff are a big Seinfeld guy. Yeah, so like, he's, <laughs> me and him quoted all the time. We just text each other quotes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, TV shows, I like Workaholics, New Girl, The Friends, The Office, like, you know, standard shows. Yeah, so yeah. like, if I'm not doing anything, I'll definitely watch some TV here and there. And I do like a lot of, I do watch movies too. So like, I'm a, definitely a big movie and TV buff. Oh, yeah. So that's like, I guess, I guess my guilty pleasure. Yeah, when it comes movies. To that, for movies. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, yeah. you gave the most simple answer I think I've ever I've ever received. When I I'm a boring it. guy. Like no, I, that's I, great. There's really nothing. I, if I'm a GM, yeah. I want my players to be as boring as possible. Like that's <laughs> I'm trying to build a team of boring dudes. But you say boring, but it's like you you're giving one of the more you know interesting and personable conversations, interviews that we've we've had on the show. Seriously, and not just saying that to to gas you up. Like it's <laughs> it's there's there's a difference between being boring and being simple. I think, and um yeah. and and again, simple is underselling it because you've offered way more perspectives than most people do on this show. So I think you just you don't need much to be entertained. Uh, whereas like yeah, for me, exactly. I got, That's a good way to put it. I've got crazy ADHD. I need to be like stimulated at all times. Like <laughs> I got the game on the TV. I'm doing, you know, writing on the computer. Like I, I'm, I'm the other way. So I appreciate that. And I can probably learn a thing or two from you. But um, dude, I, congratulations on all the success, man. If, if people weren't rooting for you before this for whatever reason weren't aware of what you're doing i know that you just gained a lot of fans uh from those who listen to this podcast and i mean it's just been so much fun to watch you do your thing man and and i'm really excited to watch you continue to do that uh thanks so much for taking the time and i i really am excited for for what you've already been able to do and what you will do thanks man i appreciate you having me on this was a good time thanks 